0: Most of us love the idea of traveling, but between the constraints of money, time, and the hustle and bustle of day-to-day life, few of us ever get to visit all of the places we'd like to experience. On this show, Phil and Pete have conversations with interesting people who have and do live in some of the most remote and exotic locales on the planet. Together, we'll travel the world from the privacy of your earbuds in Vicarious Encounters. and welcome it is good to have you here on uh, vicarious encounters i'm pete and i'm phil and today we have our special guest nate geraru who's going to be talking to us a little bit about life in chad which i barely know anything about it i'm really really looking forward to hearing some more about that but first let's hear a little bit about phil what's going on in your world these days phil well Honestly, the most recent thing that was going on, I got a
1: new board game in the mail. This is a recurring theme in my life, but I got one specifically based on Minecraft. And so I set it up, I taught it to my children, and then I came upstairs. And instead of watching television or playing on technology, they are currently playing a board game, which is an exciting development in my life. And this is going to mean very little to very few people, but I need to say to uh, the one inquirer of mine who, who wanted to know, I am in fact recording this podcast barefoot.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I am also barefoot as I record this podcast, and I can't imagine who in heaven's name would even want to know. But yeah, well, for, for my part, uh, last week, I had the opportunity to do something that I've only done one other time in my life, and that is to go to a Brazilian steakhouse. And let me just tell you, if you've never had this experience before, it is a whole new variety of gluttony. It just takes gluttony to a whole different level. You have guys they refer to as gauchos who walk around the room with meat on a spit and they ask you if you want it and they just keep bringing it and bringing it and bringing it until you can't hold any more. They've got lamb and sirloin and filet mignon and pork and chicken and it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I'm pretty sure that out of the little food bar that they had up there, there was a rainbow coming out of the big bucket of bacon. So uh, it was it was definitely a great culinary experience. Uh, I was there to celebrate uh, anniversary some of some good friends of ours. So uh, that, definitely some good stuff.
1: That sounds amazing. I actually had that experience for the very first time back in December. Uh, we traveled with some friends up to Des Moines, which is maybe one of the most underrated cities in the country it is absolutely beautiful there is all kinds of cool stuff to do love Des Moines but I find myself embracing the uh, the term meat sweats
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic well we have with us today Nate Geraru it is great to have you with us Uh, how are you oh good thanks for having me on absolutely so I know you were at least in Chad when when were you there so, I was born there, um, okay. and then I came to the States when I was about three. Then I moved back at age
2: twelve. spent a few years there and left um, really after my sophomore year of high school, but I spent part of my sophomore year in West Africa as well. So really that that age between twelve and fifteen when I was there.
0: Okay, so you have a perspective from some of your childhood. So give us a picture, like if we were there and we were kind of looking at Chad. When you think about Chad. What does it look like in your mind as you picture that place? It's desert, so
2: it's dry, very dusty. So if you've, anybody's ever been to the Middle East, it's it's very much that type of vibe, that type of environment. You know, Chad has a large Muslim population, uh, though it is not an Islamic uh, country. It's it's very much dominated uh, by people of the of the Islamic faith. Um, but you know, you have dusty roads, you have a few i'd uh, say probably five or six skyscrapers in the main city so not you know a mega city type i think there's only 15 million, million people in the whole country um when i was there it's probably way less probably 11 or 12 million so very sparsely um populated the northern part is absolutely desert and you have uh, the tibesti mountains up north so the north of chad is uh, bordered by libya Right. And then you have Sudan, uh, you know, over uh, on the east and then, you know, Niger, Nigeria, Cameroon, uh, kind of towards the west and then Central Africa Republic to the south. And then as as you move further, Germanna is, is really towards the southern, the mid, middle part, I would say the lower middle part. And then as you move towards the southern part of Chad, it becomes more Savannah and more green, Less, less, uh, less dry heat, more arid heat. And that's as you're moving to Central Afro Republic, which is getting into, uh, you know, the tropical tropical rainforest type of topography. But yeah, so that's that's kind of the t- topography and the population is pretty much centered in Jemena, uh, which is the
0: main main city. Okay. So what do you love about the country? When, what do you what do you kind of think? Man, I just really love this about Chad.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's general in most African countries, but Chad especially is hospitality. <laughs> That's a double-edged sword sometimes, but it's you're you're never uh, intruding, right? You, you can be a guest for the first time or the hundredth time, and there's always a warm welcome. Um, there's always a place for you to sit and and kind of gather with with friends and family or or, or complete strangers that you just met at the airport or at the taxi stand and you need a place to kind of go and and that can turn into a feast, you know, uh, kind of on a drop of the hat, but I would, I would absolutely chatting hospitality is, is, is renowned and, and known. And, and I've lived it. I've, I've been on both sides of that, uh, of that equation. So, yeah.
1: Just a, just another question about the topography. Is there a sizable portion of it that is uninhabitable just hearing you describe it? You say most people are living in one center. I wonder, you know, is there part of it that's so desert
2: that no one lives there or how much of it is that is that way? Well, the majority is desert. So if you look at it, you know, it's you as you move north from the capital city, Jemena, it's you're you're going right into the Sahara Desert. So uninhabitable is it just depends. So are the nomadic tribes that live up there? So there are people up there that um, are nomads or people that are from the area and they make it work. And, and, and there are cities up there that. Have the solar panels, the wind panels. I've seen some cities. I've never been up that far north. I've just I've seen pictures. You know, for the long time, in the in the late 70s and 80s, it was it was a lot of civil war and a lot of unrest up there. So a lot of the rebels and rear bases were up in the northern part of Chad. And so it wasn't like the place you went uh, really to to do any tourism. It was just you know, a, a place to. If you if you weren't from there, there was very uh, little reason to be there, but uh, there, there are large nomadic tribes. And as with a lot of African countries, a lot of uh, people that move between borders, which, you know, are just really porous. So, you know, between Sudan and, and Chad and, you know, I'm sure Libya and Chad and and, and all of that. So uh,
1: you mentioned uh, there wasn't much tourism Back during uh, earlier times, is that something that's grown now in in more recent years? Is it like if our listeners are listening to this, is there a tourism industry that they could, if they wanted to go and visit, um, is there a is there a
2: good, easy way for them to do that? Short answer is no. You know, I think there are people that are, are I've been doing tourism like in, in the early 2000s oil Uh, ExxonMobil moved in, there was a big oil project and that brought in a lot of foreign money, foreign companies, uh, foreigners, period. But, you know, Chad is probably one of the most difficult places to get to uh, expense wise. Um, I know at one point it was one of the most expensive tickets in the world. And if you look at the um, some of the most expensive cities rated for expats, Chad, Jemena, Chad is always on that list. It's just it's a landlocked country, so no access to ports. So everything has to be flown in or trucked in. So that just makes things uh, expensive. There are some um, parks. uh, There are some, uh, you know, wildlife parks. I'm in Chad. There's one um, in north of the city. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Uh, there's one towards the south. Uh, I think it might be on the Cameroonian side, but it's it's there in the southern part of Chad. So it's not a hot tourist destination. It isn't It isn't Dubai yet. I would love it to be Dubai someday, but uh, people are working on it. But it's definitely not uh, out of, you know, out of the, you know, if somebody wanted to go, it absolutely could, could make it happen. It's just not going to be uh, geared towards tourists in the way that as Americans, we think of, of places being geared towards tourists
1: okay uh so basically what you're telling us then is that you are currently our conduit into knowing and uh, understanding chad better so i guess that makes uh, that makes me feel pretty good that maybe people are going to get some insight they may struggle to get otherwise so let's say pete and i were going to visit chad specifically because you were there and you wanted to show us some things tell me what would you show us what will we see what would we eat? Where would we go?
2: So, yeah, you, you would definitely uh, have two options of coming in. You probably go through Europe on air, France and, you know, Paris down to Jemena. Or there's, there's a few more conduits now, Ethiopian Airlines, you know, via Ethiopia. Uh, you can go through the Middle East for, via Turkish. Um, and there's probably a few I've left out since then. Um, but, yeah, you arrive at the capital city, uh, Jemena. Uh, pick you up, take you to my house or a guest house or whatever it is. The first thing I will will we'll hit you is the heat, for sure. Once you walk off that plane in the capital city, there is a jetway. You have to come off on a, you know, whatever you call the stair things that they put up to, uh, to the airplanes.
0: Yeah, you said uh, earlier it wasn't a hot tourist destination. I thought, I'll bet it is. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. It's it's hot physically, but not hot, you know, but, you know, the, in the sense that everybody's going there. But yeah, I mean, I would show you the Shari River that runs through uh, through Chad. Uh, take you, Cameroon is right over the border, so it's right there. Um, so going into Cameroon and seeing that border city would be something I would show you. Could see uh, the fishermen that still fish using pirogues, you know, old. Uh, canoes and dugout canoes, and they're throwing their nets out and fishing. You know that's something I, I would definitely um, want you to see. I could take you out to the country to see some of the the farming and the livestock and, and and all of that. But I would quickly start. You know, a few days there, it's it's just like a city. You have your hotels, you have, you know, your bustling street markets. The uh, the uh, the central market is something that you probably want to see. It's it's you know it's definitely it, if you if you ever been to Southeast Asia. Where you have those open air markets that are just jam packed with you know sights and smells and live animals and dead animals and, and, and modern cell phones and wh- whatever you can just think of jam packed in, in this big central market. You have to be careful there, just like in many big cities. You know, pickpockets and and <laughs> people trying to sell you things. You you guys being white would attract you know some attention for sure. I mean, there there are you know people of all nationalities, but um, you guys would definitely stick out. Uh, like a sore thumb there's uh, a, a national museum uh, that's there which is really cool it's it's fairly new they have a lot of artifacts from uh, things that they've dug up uh, more recently in chad in terms of some of the oldest fossil bones in africa found um, in chad and so you could go to that uh, national uh, museum as well which is pretty cool um, but then we'd go down south i think that's that is my favorite part of chad that's where i'm from um, it gets just a drive down there um, or you'd fly. You could get one of those missionary airplanes, like I think MAF, uh, Missionary Aviation Fellowship. I'm not sure if they're still there. Um, but one of the, the cool things is getting in one of their Cessnas and flying down and landing on a dirt strip somewhere in, 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 in a village. It's, I'd probably take you to my village of Bevalum, where I was born, actually. Just go down there and, and take a look at how people live. I mean, uh, some of it's rudimentary. You know, right? it's it's like it's probably been that way for the last you know hundred or so years. And then you'll see a cell tower right in the middle of a village or it's just really a strange juxtaposition of seeing that. But you probably see a little bit of wildlife there. But mostly I, the big attraction would be the people, the culture, the groups, the interactions. To see some of the natural beauty that's up north, that's the, the Tibesti Mountains, the Wadi, the, the big oasis, that type of stuff that you would think Middle East, camels, that stuff. I probably wouldn't take you there. I'm not very familiar with that, but I would find somebody to take you there. I have plenty of family and friends. My sister still works at the U.S. Embassy in Chad. So I would definitely have you guys go up there and see that. And that's where you'd probably get on a camel, do the camel ride, go see a true oasis in the desert and see what that's like. Uh, see some of the mountain landscapes up there. If you look at a picture of the Tibesti Mountains, they, they really look like, I'd say like Utah or something like that. Those type of rocky mountain uh, structures. So I was
1: going to say, I was actually just looking up pictures and it reminded me of my, uh, my family vacation in Utah, just a few years yeah. back. It was very yeah. similar to that. Yeah. Okay, so you had talked about the uh, the cultural center, and so that's my next question for you. We actually, I feel like in America, we have a tendency to just say Africa right, and then leave it at that. So what makes Chad, Chad? What makes it different than other countries in Africa?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, You know, it's landlocked. It's small, it's smaller than uh, most other African countries, Uh, though. It's big in terms of um, uh, physical lands land. It's one of the biggest ones with Sudan and Congo and all that. But population wise, it's a bit smaller. I would say, you know, Chadians are are a bit more. um, uh, What's the word hardy more? They're tough. You have to be tough uh, with all the uh, geopolitical unrest. That's that's been happening over the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, we have one of the most battle-hearted armies <laughs> in the on the on the on the continent. I don't know if that's such a uh, positive thing but it's it truly is they've been using uh, Chadian forces in West Africa and North Africa to combat terrorism. the French army has one of its largest air force air bases there uh, to for rapid deployment throughout the entire continent and so Chad has been part of a lot of anti terrorist groups so it's it's a very uh I, I would say Chadians are hardcore Uh, and and my brother would always say uh chad is real africa if you want to go to light africa go down to zambia and uh tanzania and you know that type of stuff my brother was just there lived there for a year and said yeah that's africa light that's africa for the beginner chad is more of an expert level in terms of you just have to be tougher than most and have to roll with the punches uh have a good time but uh you you definitely have to get out of your North American mindset very quickly.
0: Oh man, do I love that perspective. So, if you're listening and you want to level up your tourist capacity, this is, sounds like the place to go. Yeah. So, you mentioned that you might take us to your village, and you also yeah. mentioned earlier that hospitality is a real trademark here as well as elsewhere, but here also. And I'm just kind of wondering if we did go to your village, what would we likely eat? So, you would eat bull. Um, so, it is
2: a Gelatin porridge type of a meal where you it's made out of millet or rice or flour, somewhat of a combination, and then a sauce like a gumbo sauce or a fish sauce uh, with meat or dried fish or just a sauce, and you tear a piece of that off and you dip it in rice, goat, lamb, beef, insects. If you're into it, I, I one of the questions I saw was around insects: grasshoppers, locusts, if you want to call it that, and they're they're massive there's a season where they're caught and fried and and they, they have that in the capital city too so it's not not just would be my village but um it's it's fried and sauteed and oil sometimes palm oil sometimes just regular vegetable oil to a crispy a, a crispy level i was never a fan of it but there are certain people in my family that love it i'm not an insect person at all meat yes fish yes Insects is where I draw the line. So Yeah, insects uh, just bug you. I get that. Yeah, yeah. I saw the same thing in Thailand once, just insects in the market. And I was just like, it's just not my thing. And um, there's also a termite type of um, insect that, you know, those flying termites. And I remember as a kid, uh, when we used to go there on vacation or living in the States, you know, at night, they'd bring these lamps out in the village and attract these termite things and they would catch them and soak them in water right to, to keep them from flying and then tear the wings off and uh, saute them and and it, and it smelled almost like peanuts being roasted something like that i can't I'm, I'm not not off-putting but definitely a distinct smell and i maybe had one or two of those but that that was and it's just very crunchy and if you didn't know what you were eating in the middle of the night you probably think you were eating i don't know some type of I don't know, uh, uh, maybe a prawn, which didn't have its shell, you know, it was still in its shell or something like that. And so it, it's just, I think it's so weird what what people are turned off by. So I just for, you know, just open, uh, just who I am, I, I don't eat lobster either because I look at a lobster and I look at a cricket and there's not a lot of difference to me, right? It's the <laughs> lobster's the bigger version of a bug. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, Absolutely, you know. So
2: people here will eat lobster without thinking about it, but won't touch a cricket. And both of them are just as ugly
0: as appetizing to me. So. But <laughs> so what's something that you do particularly enjoy eating? That's Chattyan. Yeah, there's one. I don't know if it's
2: if it's just unique to Chad, but it was there, it was called mishri at the time. And it's like, you take a, a goat and, or yeah, it was goat. Most I don't think they they've But you take a goat, you, you know, they slaughter it, they, they empty its insides out and they stuff it with rice or couscous and eggs and vegetables and all kinds of interesting stuff. And then they roast that thing whole. And, you know, you take it to a, a local roaster that has the oven and he would roast it for you and then bring it in. I would definitely do one of those at mishri parties. I've heard, though I've never been a part of that, they do it with camels. Uh, I think my mom was telling me one time that there was where um, one, of our, uh, one of her friends, they had a house where they did it with a camel that they stuffed with a goat. And they set the goat with the chicken, you know? And so it's just like this, I don't know, the, the triductin version. I say it's the uh, chatty and traductin version. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've had camel meat, but not in that setup. So I would definitely order one or two of those and I would invite friends and family over to meet you. Everybody's when to come meet, you know, Pete and Phil, who are these guys? And, uh, you know, and Chadian houses are, are pretty much set up in a courtyard type of uh, layout. So everybody has like a main gate that they go through and, you know, park your cars. And then you have maybe a, your main house, but then you have other individual rooms or um, other setups. So it was always kind of that communal uh, area. When I, when I lived in Chad, my mom's sister lived with us and my dad's two nephews lived with us. So there was always somebody around. So all those people would come in and we'd, we'd feed you the Mishwi and you kind of eat together though. There would be plates, but you can just co off a rip off a piece and get some rice and uh, or couscous or whatever they put in there. Couscous is probably better for you. And then all that neat, neat stuff in there. So that, that was always my favorite dish when, you know, they were having a big get together or some kind. So.
1: I feel like Americans have really missed the boat when it comes to goat meat. Every time I've had it, it's been absolutely delicious. And I don't know why we don't eat it here. We eat lamb. I don't, I don't know where the disconnect is, but uh, yeah, goat is fantastic.
2: Yeah. It's probably one of the things I know you can get here in the Metroplex, but you know, you definitely have to find it, find an African restaurant and go. I have some Indian friends that have taken me to some places around the Metroplex to get some goat meat, but yeah, it's not certainly anything you see around that's easily, I always have to Google it and, decide if I want to drive an hour to go actually get it. So
0: best goat meat I ever had was in Haiti of all places. Okay. So they, there's definitely a lot of different places where they, they fix it and the, the seasonings are different everywhere you go, but it's, yeah, Phil's right. It, it's amazing how common it is everywhere else.
1: Yep. I said the best, the best goat meat I ever had was actually at in my high school Spanish teacher's backyard. He had all of us out and roasted it the way that he learned whenever he lived in Mexico. And it was phenomenal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If you roast it right, it's amazing. Well, I realize I'm showing my ignorance here, Nate, but tell me about the languages that you spoke growing up in uh, Chad. I I don't even know what is spoken there. I I assume French, since you mentioned the -hmm. French having a base there, but uh, are there other languages?
2: Yeah. So the two national languages are French and um, Arabic. And so in the schools, it's French or or Arabic schools. And, And then the business trade businesses. So, you know, not your your local market. You know, your corner store. A lot of that is pro- is going to be Arabic. Uh, chatting Arabic is what I've been I've, I've been told. I've, I have some few a few American friends that have lived in the Middle East, and I've been to the Middle East with them. And they said, yeah, they chatting Arabic and Middle Eastern Arabic. There are some differences. They they're they're understood. I'm guessing it's like British English versus U.S. English or Canadian French versus you know French French. But uh, those are the two main languages. So I went to school. Eighth, ninth, and 10th grade were entirely in French for me. Had to switch in the seventh grade, was homeschooled, and then had, was tutored in French. Had to learn French to switch into the French uh, system. So very closely tied to, the schooling there. And then there are hundreds of tribal uh, languages and dialects. So my native language is Gumbai, That's the name of it. Um, so that's Gambai is, you know, is, is spoken by uh, the, the Gumbai tribe from, from the South, one of the largest tribes. And so I grew up I understand it perfectly, though I don't speak it, which is interesting because when I was in the States, my parents would speak Gumbai in the house, but we'd respond in English. So I ended up in a situation where I understand it completely, what's going on. I just would respond in French. <laughs> and so that's, that's you know, and my grandparents, they spoke Gumbai, both sides, uh, both, you know, both passed on now, but they spoke only Gumbai. And so I had to make an effort when I was speaking to my grandparents um, in Gumbai. They didn't really speak French. But French and Arabic are the two national recognized languages. And of course, English from an international perspective, the hotels and that type of stuff. And again, like I said, Exxon was there. So a lot of American companies have been in and out in the last 15 to 20 years. So a lot of Chadians, you know, were in Houston or in, in the States now. And so you, you, you'll find English if you really need it. But uh, French is, is definitely helpful.
0: So, so in a place of such cultural and linguistic diversity, Did you ever find that you, there was some confusion or any embarrassing moments as a result? Oh
2: yeah. You know, I was thinking about that plenty. I'm just trying to even think of ones I can share that, that uh, yeah. I mean, I I think for me, Gumbai is a tonal language, you know, and so the same word can have a different meaning depending on the tone. And so I am tone deaf when it comes to singing and anything else. So it was so always so hard for me to get those words right. So the their, their word for moon, sauce, month, it's the same word. It's just how you say it that's different, right? So I said, give me some sauce. And they're like, why do you want the moon? I'm like, no, I want sauce. It was like, that's how you say sauce. It's, but I'm like, it's the same word, but it's just how you put the tone on it that's different. So nine, nine I can't even do it now. I'm so embarrassed. But like moon, sauce, uh, month. Same word, I think there's actually four different meanings, and what's embarrassing is my mom's a linguist. she's a trained linguist, so uh to have me as a son that can't deal do that is you know is fairly embarrassing but yeah, it, it, there have been moments where I've tried to say one thing and came out completely different, had the word right, but completely different uh tone was completely off and then French you know you, you add French in there, and you have accents and oh i have I have one I can tell you this so in French. There's a formal way of saying you and an informal way of saying you, right? So, how are you? Or, hey, can you do this? And so, my first year in the eighth grade, I went up to a professor and I used the informal way on accident, not the formal, respectful way. And his reaction was so I, uh, to this day, I just remember the negative, like, how can you insult me this way? And I just, and I think he just got up and walked away. And was just just treating me with disdain the rest of that, that trimester. And I remember going home to my mom. I said, "Mom, what did I do?" I, I asked him a question, and she says, "How did you ask it?" So I told her, and she said, "Yeah, you don't ever use that 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 uh, that version of you um, with your professors. And just to be safe, when you interact with somebody, use the formal one, and then they'll say you can use informal, and you switch it over." So it's just this complicated world where in English you say you, Hey, how are you doing? You know, can you help me with this? Whereas in French, it's this whole section of, it, just, it was it was just floored me. I said, man, this is way too complicated. So especially <laughs> for an eighth grader, you're like, what is going on right now? So.
0: <laughs> so now that you live in the States, what do you miss about Chad?
2: Well, I, you know, just to be frank, I've, I've lived in the States more than I lived in Chad. And so I think you know, I've been back and forth. My family, my dad was here a week ago, just went back to Chad. Uh, so a lot of connections. Um, I had planned to go back in, in the last couple of years, but it was like three or four years ago was the last time I was there. Um, I, you know, I would say just more of the laid back pace. It's almost too laid back for me because I'm so used to kind of the pace here in the United States, but it's definitely uh, one of the things that allows me to slow down. So one time in 2009, I took uh, my wife, Sarah, and Sophia, she was four at the time. And we went to Chad and we went for about four weeks. And I had just come off. I was working for this startup. I was burnt out. I was tired, just kind of discombobulated. And I remember uh, we flew through France. We had some family there, spent a week doing some work. And I left my BlackBerry and a whole, my computer and everything in Paris. And I got to Chad and I bought like this Nokia, Nokia type of burner phone that have no internet, none of that. And we just spent the, we spent a lot of time in the South where I'm from, which is even slower. Right. And electricity was, you know, we stay in this place where some days you'd have electricity and the satellite would work, but the water wouldn't work. And then the next day was the complete opposite. Right. But it was fine. And they had like this internet cafe, but you'd go and have to pay, like, it was so cheap. It was like maybe a dollar for an hour or something, but it was incredibly slow. So when you try to pull up, anything to communicate with home it was slow so it just had to slow me down and i would say you know even in my own family those who live in chad versus those who live in the united states the pace is so much more different it you're not rushed there's not that type of anxiety that you feel in the united states where you just have to fill your time with with things um in chad you can you can go at your own pace and and things will happen things will happen and when they're supposed to happen one of my favorite phrases from my chatting friends is pas de problème, pas de problème, like, oh, no problem. Where, you know, the United States is like, everything is a problem right now and needs to be fixed right now.
0: So what's something you do appreciate about the U.S. that you didn't have access to while you are in chat?
2: I mean, there's a lot. That's a good question. You know, I, I think stability is probably a good one. You know, I think people here uh, don't understand always what they have. And I think we get riled up, uh, here in the United States for things that are not really problems. In perspective, it really isn't, you know, any you can wake up and you can, you go to school, you, you take your kids to school, come home without really having to think about what's the geopolitical issue going on today and when can that go south? So there's been a few, few times uh, where there's been attempted coups or, you know, attempted, something's gone south and, and you start to realize the importance of reliable uh, infrastructure and reliable markets and reliable, um, just the reliable, boring things of life that nobody ever thinks about until it's gone. Right. So think about your roads, think about your water, think about, you know, um, the, the a couple of weeks ago. The city of Arlington was out here. Dude, there's a water main break, and so all our all the water pressure in the in our house was gone. And Sarah's like, "Is there a problem?" We found out it's our whole neighborhood. And you would think it was like I don't know the apocalypse. The way some of the neighbors responded, and I'm like, "But it's just a water main break. It's not that big a deal to get to." Or or Ice mageddon, right? Think about that. We, what happened there was eye opening to me, and just how. Much we rely on electricity here in the United States, and we had you know two families from church come live with us. And we at one point when they didn't know if the water treatment plants were going to make, and we're filling our tubs with water. And even Sarah and I, she's American, but she's grew up in East Africa, Swaziland, and Kenya. And we our first instincts were like fill the bathtubs before anything happened. You know, our friends came over, Why do you have the bathtubs filled? Because oh, we know what this is like when you might not have water for a few days. Like we've gone through this through these exercises before, just our instincts will kick in in weird ways where we're like, we're not even sure why we're doing it, but we, we do it anyway. So that was eye opening. So I would say what I appreciate about the United States is consistency. It's so consistent, it's boring. And that's that's a luxury that we have.
0: How do you think living in multiple cultures has impacted you as a person?
2: Oh, it's impacted me greatly. It's given me um, a perspective on, on things that I look at. And when things come, whether it's my personal life or how I'm raising my kids, it's, it's always like, there's always a different side to this. And sometimes there's a good reason why they're, they're not agreeing with you or there's just a perspective that you're not seeing um, right now. Um, and, and it's best to walk over. And even if you disagree, you walk over and you try to understand that person's perspective and where they're coming from. And you still may disagree, but just that journey to walk over to them Kind of get into their shoes, their their cultural mindsets, and then come back um, is always helpful. The United States is a cultural mix. I was in Seattle a couple months ago; it felt like a different country. You know, uh, I finished my last two years of high school up there. My brother and I went to see friends, and literally, and the stereotypes that some of their friends had about Texans was wild, right? And and they were serious, and I was like, ah, yeah, that might be parts of Texas, but Dallas, Fort Worth is pretty. Cosmopolitan and pretty international, and people from all over the world. I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah. Come to Texas, come see. And so, um, and you know, and even travel a lot I'd say it's in the United States, and the cultural differences. And so, what happens there is you're forced—not forced, forced to—but it behooves you to um, always pause, even even when it's something you can't even conceive and think about where they're coming from. And then as you're talking and trying to convince or influence or persuade, you can speak from that perspective and understand everything they're getting hit with versus, hey, this is the way I've always understood it in this context, in in this environment, with whatever, the people that think The the exact same way I think socioeconomically or or politically or whatever it really, and that's why I wanted my kids to understand. I told I told my kids, you need to travel. You need it. When you, when you get older, start traveling, uh, start getting that perspective. We've done that with our kids, taking them to different places throughout the world, just to, to give them that flavor. Um, so yeah.
1: Yeah, I actually uh, can commiserate with that a bit. My wife and I, we spent a semester in Ukraine teaching English back in 2004, and we came back and were home for a couple of months before we moved to northern Washington, just south of the Canadian border for grad school. And we both would say, without a doubt, we experienced more culture shock moving from the
2: Midwest uh, to the upper Northwest than we did going halfway around the world. Absolutely. No doubt. It was the first time I was in Seattle in about probably 15 years, and I was I was just floored. I thought, wow, this is very different. So yeah, and I used to live here, that's the crazy part. So <laughs> all right, so you've been to uh several
1: places that you've talked about, but if you had two weeks to go anywhere in the world that you have not yet gone to, where would you go? And you can uh, even maybe answer. Based on considerations, because Pete definitely has talked about how if he was going by himself, it would be one place. If he was going with his whole family, it would be one place. If it was just he and his wife, he would go one place. But where would you go, depending on who was
2: uh, who you were taking with you? Yeah, whether it was by myself or my wife, hands down the Maldives. Uh, always wanted to go to the Maldives. I love beaches, and we we snorkel. Uh, Sarah and I, are, you know, we big snorkelers. We kayak. Uh, water sports is what we love, and so. I would. The Maldives are on my list. I'm not really a mountains person, though. Mountains are cool, and I would definitely want to go there uh, with the family. And then to cheat the second part, would probably be like Nepal or something like that. I'd love to see the Himalayas. Love to see Everest. Love to you know, even though I'm not a hiker or back, a backpacker, I, I would love to to go see that part of the world. But yeah, so Maldives as a family, Nepal. Sarah and I, or even I, but uh, I'm sure my family would be like, why aren't you taking us in the fall? But so um, I kind of cheated there, but those are my two bucket list items.
1: All right. That's great. Thank you so much for telling us about that. You uh, absolutely have made Chad feel like its own uh, individual place. In my mind, it's no longer just part of a giant blob of Africa in my brain, but I can pick it out and I can think, okay, these are the things I know about Chad as an individual place. You're welcome, We are going to move on now to the next segment of our podcast. It's time for another Vicarious Encounters Top 5. This week, our top five is our top five chain sandwich shops. This uh, was suggested by my wonderful co-host Pete. I can only imagine that he was hungry when he thought of it and uh he wanted a sub so we're going to talk about uh chain sandwich shops number five my number five is a bit of a cheat only because it's a chain i'm sure neither of you guys have ever heard of and it's called pickleman's and pickleman's is started in columbia missouri And it started very uh, shortly after, or very shortly before my wife and I moved there. And there are only 24 locations in the Midwest, but it's actually, they're building one in the current town that we're living in, and it just keeps growing and growing. It's beyond fantastic. It's great sandwiches, but it's just so small. I put it at my number five because, uh, yeah, if it was more well-known, it would probably be number one or number two, but I wanted to uh, put it on there.
0: My number five is Quiznos, and Quiznos was always one of those sandwich shops that every time I traveled, I would look for a Quiznos, and I always thought, man, this is absolutely fantastic, and if only I had a Quiznos in the town where I lived, then my life would be wonderful, and then they came to the city where I lived in Virginia, and I ate there a few times, and I'm like, ah, it's okay. It was definitely a case of it was my favorite until I got enough of it, and then it's like, it, it's top five, but it's no longer my favorite. What about you, Nate?
2: Yeah, I put Subway. And part of the reason is because most of these shops I've never been to. And if there's a sandwich shop I've been to, I don't remember. So Subway ate it a lot in college. It was one of the cheapest things I could get away with. And I know my, the kids love it. Sophia, not as much, but Isaac still does. It's a cheap you know, sandwich to, to, to throw out there and, and get there for the kids. So I just put Subway on my list as number five. Number
1: four. And my number four actually is uh, Pete's number five. I chose Quiznos. And Quiznos really uh, sold me on themselves when I first tried it because they were the only ones toasting their bread. Of course, uh, Subway kind of got wind of that and started doing toasting as well after uh, Quiznos became popular and known for that, then the Quiznos near us closed down. So I stopped having it. So it still holds a warm place in my heart in a lot of ways because of the what Pete said. Now that I don't have it, I kind of want it.
0: My number four is Witch Witch, which I'd never heard of until I moved to Texas. Um, and honestly, if it was cheaper, it would rank higher for me because I actually like their subs a lot, but it feels a little overpriced to me. I think the only times I've ever actually ate there is when I had some kind of coupon or discount uh, because I just couldn't justify spending that much for a simple sandwich. But I have to confess, pretty dang delicious.
2: Yeah, my number four is McAllister's Deli. Uh, It just feels like a grown up adult uh, sandwich shop uh, where I had a good friend that would always want to meet there. I never went there by myself, but I'd meet there with him. So really it's just because I have good memories eating McAllister's with this this buddy of mine and just felt like, "Eh, this is a sandwich shop, but it's a little bit more, you know, I feel more adult when I'm eating here. Number
1: three. Well, number three for me is McAllister's. I actually would have McAllister's higher, except that I usually am more worried about what baked potato I'm going to get when I'm there than I am what sandwich I'm going to get <laughs> because baked potatoes are their other big thing. So I actually think of it more of as a, as a potato place than a sandwich place. But uh, McAllister's is uh, delicious.
0: Uh, my number three is Potbelly, uh, which is another sandwich shop I hadn't eaten at until I moved out here to Texas, but uh, I love their sandwiches. Their soups are pretty good as well. It's just a good all-around meal at a decent price, and I have definitely enjoyed it. It's one of those places that my wife and I will actually stop at on purpose and not just because it's the only thing at that exit.
2: So let's see here. What is my number? I just lost my... Uh... I think it's Jason's Deli, and I can't remember where I put Jason's Deli. I just think uh, it's a good sandwich shop, and it's probably one of the ones I went to, probably the latest I've gone to. Uh, was Jason's Deli, so that's, that's why I put it there. That's it. Number two. Number two
1: for me is St. Louis Bread Company, and of course, if you get outside of the St. Louis area, that's Panera. But um, being a, a Missourian, uh, I had to give it its, its original name for, this, uh, for the sake of uh, the rest of the folks in my state. But the thing I like about Panera is that having been in Europe, there are, every street corner has good bread available to buy all the time. And Panera is one of the few places that is a chain you can go to where I feel like the bread is actually worth going for. I love their sourdough. I think it's fantastic. Uh, so yeah, that's why it's my number two.
0: My number two is Jersey Mike's. They just, they have some hot subs that I really like and a lot of these other ones don't. Um, and it's uh, good flavors. They, a lot of what I've had there just really pops and it's a little bit more unique. There's several of these sandwich shops I've eaten at. I feel like it's the same thing. You, know, you could go to any one of four or five of them and it all taste pretty much the same. But I think this one stands out.
2: Yeah, mine, uh, number two is Quiznos. Uh, I'm with you guys. I love that place. I forgot about it until I saw the list. Uh, I used to eat there quite a bit when I lived in the Midwest. And is there no Quiznos around here? Or is it, we just, I just don't run into it. That, I, I haven't seen one. Okay. Yeah, I love Quiznos. I love, um... Their toasted, um, toasted sandwiches, and they used to have this like this red. I, they probably still have it, but when I was there, they had this red like chili sauce that you could put um, on your sandwiches, and I just fell in love with that. So um, when I was in the Midwest, I would go to quiz those if I wanted a sandwich. And now number one
1: for number one, I chose what is by many going to be potentially considered a bland or boring choice but I will defend it. I chose Jimmy John's and I will tell you why, because Jimmy John's knows what they want to do and they stay in their lane. They say, this is what we have and this is what it tastes like. Either you like it or you don't. And it's great because they got themselves really good at doing this one thing. And if I'm going to choose a sandwich, it's going to just be a ham and cheese sandwich with lettuce and mayo. That's all I need. And it's perfect. The bread is great and uh
0: yeah it's great. Okay, well I, I have to jump on that uh since you gave me the invitation. Boring, holy cow. <laughs> Jimmy John's is a great place to go if you're allergic to flavor.
1: I uh, don't. so my number one <laughs> I will so take consistency. I will take consistency over excitement.
0: It's true, and pudding has a certain consistency, but I don't care for it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one is Firehouse Subs. I absolutely love the, uh, the uh, what is it called? The Smokehouse Beef and Cheddar uh, is fantastic. But honestly, I've had probably half a dozen or more of the different subs on that. And it's they are a little on the high side, but they're big enough where I can order a big one and my wife and I can share it. Super delicious, savory, uh, makes me want to go back for more. I was
1: going to say, as an English teacher, I can't afford Firehouse. So I'm just going yeah. to take your well, word for it.
2: I don't know if I've ever been to a Firehouse, to be honest with you. So I'm going to have to do that this week. I have to rectify that. And um, uh, Sarah's traveling this weekend, so I'm up, for, I'm up for dinner. So I might have to do that for, for the kid, for Isaac. Isaac and I will be by ourselves. So I have to try that. Mine is Jimmy John's for the same reason. Phil, you took the words right out of my mouth. Consistency. You know what you're going to get. You're not going to be disappointed. Right. You know, those days where you just want the sandwich just so and you don't want any. That's that's why I like it. I like their spicy East Coast Italian and their Italian nightclub. Those are my two favorite. And there's something about it. I, I don't know. Can't put my finger on it. So uh, that's my number
0: one.
1: Awesome. Pete, you're officially outvoted to. Uh,
0: clearly, um, which means that uh, sometimes the majority is not right.
2: Well, I'll go to Firehouse this weekend, and I'll I'll let you know what I think. I might so, okay so I might I
0: have I will, to have you for a follow
2: up. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I will not go to Firehouse this week.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am also I'm also alone with my children this week, and promised to take them out to dinner one night, but it won't be Firehouse.
0: Ah, uh, oh, you're missing out. Are you ready? It's time for unpopular opinions. And this week's unpopular opinion comes to you courtesy of me, Pete, and I'll be interested to see what kind of reaction I get to this. So my unpopular opinion today is this, mornings are the best time of day. Morning is the best time of day. I would not have even agreed with myself 30 years ago, but the more I get up and enjoy the morning, the more I enjoy the morning. It is uh, it is just the most refreshing, enjoyable, beautiful, really time of the day. It's the time when I'm most likely to hear birds in the trees. I love the sunrise, and uh, I don't ever have to worry about seeing the sunset because I'm always awake when the sun sets. But I have to get up to see the sunrise, so I think morning's the best time of day. What do y'all think?
1: I 100% agree. I've been a morning person my entire life, like to the point that. You know, we're recording this podcast and it's it's almost 8.30 now. It's about an hour before I need to go to bed because I can't handle it anymore. I am... To
0: be clear, yeah, 8.30 p.m. Sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, you know, I am my most productive in the mornings. I like to get up at 4.30, 4.45 and get my workout in. And then I go to work early and I'm always at work earlier than everyone else by... You know, half an hour or an hour easily, because I just get the best work done when I have to do things in the afternoon. I'm terrible, like I'm ready to take a nap anytime after one p m <laughs> so I completely agree. I love the mornings,
2: yeah, so uh being traditionally a night owl, I agree the older I get, so I have switched my schedule to be up early mornings, it's quiet. I can uh, get my thoughts going. A lot of my day is done in those few hours before the kids get up. And then I take to school in the mornings. It gives me that. And I work out of my house. So um, it gives me that time to transition, transition into the workday. And so every year as I get older mornings, I I love mornings, but talk to me probably less than three or four years ago, I would have told you you're out of your mind. And I was always a night owl in school. And it helped me out when I was working with international teams. Loved it, right? Just up throughout the night and then sleep sleep in. But now I am definitely more of a morning person. I'm with you, Phil. About nine nine thirty, I turn into you know I turn into whatever incoherent and just ready to ready to put my head on a pillow. So I I am I, probably the next five or six years I'm going to be staunchly in the on the morning person side. So
1: I uh, even to the point that. I I would get made fun of in the dorm in college because at 930, I was going to bed and everybody else is just up being loud and obnoxious. But as long as my roommate didn't bother me when he came to bed, then I was fine. But Uh, yeah, I unfortunately, the uh, negative in my life right now is that I have raised two morning people as well. And so what used to be full of quiet and solitude is uh, now full of three of us instead of one of us while my wife sleeps in.
2: Got it. Got it. Yeah. And I think that's, for me, it's just that solitude, not quiet. So for me, it was always the night and now it's the morning. So
0: maybe the unpopular opinion I should have made is that Jimmy John's is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, go. It would have been
1: more unpopular.
0: Well, at least in this group, but uh, you know, I, I know there's probably a lot of folks out there listening who have a very different opinion. We certainly invite you to share your opinions with us. Please feel free to email us, contact us on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Love to get you to weigh in and tell us a little bit about your opinions, or you might have a top five you'd like to hear or share, or an unpopular opinion you'd like to share that we can comment on. Feel free to reach out to us. We would love to add that to our podcast.
1: If you run into one of our commercials on Facebook or you like the page, please uh, consider sharing that with your friends or other people you know who might be interested in the different places of the world and might like hearing about those places and the other nonsense that we spew around here about why Jimmy John's isn't good. I don't understand Pete at all on this, honestly. But uh, once again, we want to thank Nate for his time it has been a fantastic episode. Thank you so much, Nate. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And Pete and I will see you next time.